You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Big Russ never whines, never complains, and I couldn't possibly do what I do on Meet the Press or at NBC without understanding the work ethic, the discipline, preparation, accountability that he instilled in me. Former Meet the Press host Tim Russert. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Sunday is Father's Day, and I wanted to bring an old familiar voice back to help us remember our own dads and what we learned from them. Back in 2004, the longtime host of NBC's Meet the Press, Tim Russert, wrote a book about growing up with his dad, the guy known around Buffalo, New York, as Big Russ. His book was called Big Russ and Me. Now, Big Russ was a World War II veteran who, after he came home from the war, worked two jobs for years to come to support his family. Never complained. Always said, what a country. And Tim Russert learned some valuable life lessons, as he explained in his book, Big Russ and Me. So here now, from 2004, Tim Russert. What inspired you to write this book? I had been asked by publishers to write a book about politics, uh, Sundays with Tim, behind the scenes of Meet the Press. I just didn't want to do it. I want to be very objective in my job and not cast judgment on people who come and sit for interviews. In 1998, I went back to Buffalo and gave a speech to the American Legion Convention where I received a journalism award. And my dad was there and my son was there. And I spontaneously began to talk about my dad, about how he had quit school in the 10th grade, gone to fight in World War II, was involved in a horrible plane crash. His B-24 Liberator went down, and he was in the hospital for six months and barely lived. But then he came home and had two full-time jobs for 30 years as a garbage man and a truck driver. He began a second mission, and that was to raise and educate his four kids. And I learned more from the quiet eloquence of his hard work and his decency and his loyalty. He didn't say much, but it was by example. And I was stunned by the reaction to those comments with these hardened, grizzly veterans who began to wipe their eyes with the back of their paws. And my dad cried for the first time in years in front of me. I had seen him cry when he buried his mom and dad, and this was the third time. And I realized that this had resonated in a way that I had never expected. And I began to think about Big Russ and the effect he had on me and the impact he had on me. My sense was that as Big Russ was unique to me. There were a lot of other Big Russes out across the country who had same similar influences on their sons. So I sat down and wrote a couple pages and submitted it to the publishers, and they said, this is a good idea. Yes. And then I just uh, put my pen to pad, and I poured my heart out, and I wrote it the best I could and as honestly as I could and incorporated the lessons Dad taught me, and the result is a book that is uh, being very well received and widely read. Even the hard-to-please Publishers Weekly referred to it as, I think, stupendously entertaining, yeah. which, which from them is, is extraordinary praise. That's what I hear, and with a star, and People, <laughs> Pe- People Magazine, three stars, and Wall Street Journal, and New York Times, and it, uh, it's been very, very, very humbling, and v- but very reassuring that people out there in this very contentious political year uh, are willing to take a pause and set aside a lot of partisan political bickering and differences and say, you know, Father's Day 2004 might be a pretty good time for us to say, hey, Dad, thanks for all you've done. And probably a pretty good time for fathers to say, you know, you're not such a bad kid after all. <laughs> well, I 
think us baby boomers, we really are finally, as we are approaching the ages that our fathers were, you know, when, when they were doing these great things or past, I think we're finally beginning to really appreciate all the things that they, not just in the war, that was, that was heroic enough. But as you said, 30 years of working two jobs. And it's not like he came home every night and whined about, oh, I'm working two jobs. No, he, a quiet, firm example of somebody who's doing things responsibly. Absolutely. You know, the older I get, the smarter my father seems to get. <laughs> and when you think about him and people like him, they were born in the Depression. Born, he was born in 1923. He's a six, seven-year-old kid during the Depression. Goes off to the war at age 19, gets nearly killed in a plane accident, then comes home and wakes up every day and goes to work. Comes home and has supper at 5.30, takes a quick nap on the couch, and I put all the pictures in the paper so people can see how I live. <laughs> I have a, myself and my little sister in a little plastic pool in the backyard with the laundry hanging out, the pool on the Russert estate. But... But Big Russ never whines, never complains. On weekends, he'd put up the storm windows, reseal the asphalt driveway. Uh, and his favorite expression is, what a country. He thinks he's blessed because he was allowed to work two jobs rather than just one. And I'm the first person in my family to go to college, much less law school. I couldn't possibly do what I do on Meet the Press or at NBC without understanding the work ethic, the discipline, preparation, accountability that he instilled in me. It must send a shudder down your spine, though, when you realize that your son, Luke, is about the same age that your father was when he went off to war. Exactly, Bill. You know, when I wrote the book and then I reread it, I realized I had written it as much for my own son as I did for my dad. I wanted to affirm my life's dad, but I wanted to influence my own son and, and, and motivate him to accept, adopt the lessons that my dad had tried to teach me. And it's exact, he's exactly the same age when my dad was going overseas in World War II. And it's different in 2004. Luke, has my son, has grown up in a different city, Washington, D.C. Uh, I went to one Major League Baseball game a year in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> we have season tickets, and I love to sit in midcourt or 50-yard line because I celebrated the games with my son. But how do you teach him that he's always, always loved but never, never entitled? And it's very hard in this day and age. And I do, and I keep saying to him, Grandpa said the world doesn't owe you a favor. Mm -hmm. And just because your father may have a recognizable name doesn't mean that life is going to be a cakewalk. Mm -hmm. You have to earn it. You have to work hard. Preparation, discipline, accountability, responsibility, all those kinds of lessons and virtues that Big Russ taught me, I'm trying to pass on to you. My dad and my son have both read the book, and um, they both really enjoyed it, and they both thanked me. And that makes my life complete. But what a great blessing that is that you could write a book like this when your dad's still around to enjoy it. You know, I thought about that so much when we um, been on this book tour and went out to a lot of different cities. And I went back to Buffalo, and it was tumultuous. I mean, people <laughs> lined up around the corner, and uh, the uh, Erie County executive had proclaimed Big Rust Day in Buffalo and Erie County, and sent a motorcycle policeman to escort Big Rust <laughs> to County Hall. I mean, it was, it, it, and, and my dad, who was 80 years old, was suddenly giving the thumbs up sign. He was reinvigorated, you know, and no autographs, no, you know, he, he was having the time of his life. And I thought so much about that, that he was having an opportunity to see his life affirmed, to see people he hadn't heard from in years, and people he'd served with in the military, reaching out to him, contacting him, applauding him, thanking him. And it was, um, 
it was so, so compelling when I started getting letters and emails from people. My son put together a website, bigrussandme.com. One word, bigrussandme.com. And it was so smart. Luke put a little box there saying, you know, if you, after you read this, you want to tell, talk about your dad, go ahead. Talk about him. And so many people, baby boomers like us, wrote, you know, Tim, I wish I had done this for my dad. I wish I had thanked him before he died. I wish I had written anything or t- had an oral history, a tape recorder, something. And so I think this book speaks to those people and to those sons and a whole generation of us who want to stand back. And it's kind of interesting that we're building this new memorial to the World War II generation and salute them. Mm-hmm. Salute them for their military service. But as you so wisely point out, for coming back from the war working one and two jobs, mm-hmm. and building the greatest middle-class society in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. A, a society which which weathered the, the, the 60s, the 70s, the tumult of, of everything that we've seen in the meantime. We won the Cold War with what they built, and now we are reaping the benefits of it. Absolutely. I remember the, in the Cold War, the Sputnik, when the Russians and, mm-hmm. <clears throat> launched it, and we were in class saying, we can't let Ivan beat us, and we have to mm-hmm. do our math homework. The priest at church saying, savior of the world, and the congregation saying, save Russia. The Cuban Missile Crisis, President Kennedy coming to Buffalo in the middle of it. I remember watching Nikita Khrushchev uh, when I was a little boy banging his shoe at the Mm. UN. And your children (laughs) will grow up in communism. And my dad saying, no siree, no siree. And three years ago, Nikita Khrushchev's son, Sergei, became an American citizen. Mm. Those are moments, well, my dad would say, what a country. After this short break, how Big Russ got his nickname. Now back to my 2004 conversation with Tim Russert. My dad, born in 24, not in 723. I have no idea what he did in the war. Never talked about it. There's a little picture and a snapshot with him next to some large piece of machinery. I think somewhere in the Pacific. I have no idea. But he's gone now. He died a number of years ago. I never had a chance to sit down with him and talk with him. I gather that from your dad, it was like extracting little slivers from, from knowledge, you know, trying to piece the story together. I always wondered um, about my dad in World War II. When I was a little boy, we used to go to a, swim in a lake. And um, he would dive in the water, and I'd be riding his back. And then he'd come up out of the water, and I'd see these big scars on his back. And I said, Dad, what are those scars from? He'd say, see you later, and he'd go back under the water. And I'd say, Mom, how come Dad has all those scars? And she said, well, when he was in the war, um, something happened. Finally in high school, I said, Dad, you know, talk to me about this. What happened? I was studying World War II in school. And he brought me down in the basement and pulled out this old manila envelope and this yellowed newspaper clip, October 27, 1944, from a British paper about a plane crash, a B-24 Liberator. And there was his name. I couldn't believe it. My father's name in a paper for being injured near death. He, when the plane somersaulted, he was ejected, engulfed in flames, and only because a kid named Billy Sajaki from Chicago and two British railway men rolled him out and suffocated the flames is he alive today. But then he took the clip back. He wouldn't let me have it. He put it back in his drawer, and um, he wouldn't let me have it again until I wrote this book. I was able to find the brother of a pilot of the plane who had actually almost reenacted the entire situation. So I, I learned more about the crash than even my dad knew. But to his way, he, he never talked much about anything. Mm-hmm. And yet at the dinner table, he'd say, you know, what we say at this table stays at this table. What, pass the potatoes? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he was a little, little nervous when I started writing the book. I never gave it to him until it was complete. And, but now um, 
His first reaction was, I can't believe I have my picture on a book. <laughs> was there anything he asked you not to write about? No. He was very open. He said, you know, I, I, his, his life is, is, is very open. He's just a regular guy. Uh, there's one interesting correction now, which, which is going to be fun for me in the paperback or someplace. There's a chapter called You Gotta Eat. And it's about my dad's love of food. And from the pastries in the morning to you know, big hoagie sandwiches to – he'd say, you know, you know, I can say what you want about the Russards, but we eat well. Well, no one says anything about us, Dad, but we eat well. And he was proud of that. He'd call me on my birthday and say, happy birthday. What are you going to eat? Well, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, Dad. I haven't laid out the menu yet. And so finally uh, the other day we were up in Buffalo and I started talking about the chapter called You Gotta Eat. And suddenly Dad said, you know, I've been thinking about that. I got that from Dr. Maddie Burke, and that's only half of it. I paused. I said, well, what do you mean it's only half of it? He said, oh, Dr. Burke said, you got to eat if you're going to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected, Big Russ. <laughs> oh, maybe we should tell people where the name Big Russ comes from, because he's Tim also. Yeah, he's Timothy Joseph Russert. I'm Timothy John Russert. But, you know, when I was little, he was Big Tim, and I was Little Tim. And then I hit six feet two, and he's about five eight, five nine, and so it was confusing. People would call and say, "Is Tim there?" And they'd say, "Big Tim or Little Tim," and they thought I was Big Tim. In any event, I said, "I said, you know, let's, let's work this out. You're Big Russ, and I'll be Tim." And that worked until my own son became seventeen, and I heard my own son on the, on the phone saying, "Oh man, I don't know if." If the big guy hears about this, there's going to be hell to pay. So I realized I've become I'm the big, big guy. guy. So we have Big Russ, my dad, big guy, me, and my own son is, is now Luke. I was um, reminiscing with some friends the other day, and they, they were asking me about a chapter on the book called Cars, Automobiles. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite stories is when my dad turned 75, I said, Dad, I've really put together enough money now, and I want to buy you a brand new car, which he had never had. And I sent him a catalog for a Lexus and for a Mercedes and for a Cadillac. I wanted a top shelf, as he would say. And uh, I drove, flew home to Buffalo. We got in his old car, and he drove a couple blocks, and there was a big sign, Jack Adkins Ford. I said, where are we going? He said, I want to go in here. And we were approached by a guy named Charlie and a Buffalo Bills windbreaker. And he, <laughs> and he said, Charlie, show him the car. And we went in the showroom, and Charlie said, there she is. It was a black Crown Victoria. I said, Dad, it's a cop car. <laughs> He said, Charlie, open the trunk for the kid. So I opened the, he opens the trunk, and he said, look at the size of that trunk. You can put two suitcases, two cases of beer. It's beautiful. Charlie, show him the spare. That's a full spare. That's not a donut. That's the real deal. So we, we got in the Crown Vic and drove off. And as I'm driving home with my dad, I said, Dad, I have to ask you something. I, why didn't you want a Mercedes or a Lexus or a Cadillac? He, he pulls the car over and puts it in park. And for Dad to stop the car is a huge deal. <laughs> He said, Mercedes and Lexus, we beat those guys in the war. I don't want to drive their cars. As for a Cadillac, you know, if Big Russ pulls up on our street with a big, shiny new Cadillac, they're all going to say, look at Timmy Russert. His kid made it big in TV, and now he's showing off. He said, I'm not a show-off. I know who I am. I want a Crown Vic, and I really thank you for it. And I realized here, here, even in accepting a gift, he was teaching me a lesson. Because the only reason I wanted to give him a big new fancy car was for him to show off. That's not who he is. And I just love him so much for constantly reminding me in his own subtle but direct way, this is what life's all about. Stay grounded. 
I just think it's so important that all of us uh, understand that we come from somewhere. And, and it's usually a place, and mine happens to be Buffalo, which is more than a geographic location. It's a way of life, a way of looking at things. And we also are products of our families. And I understand there are times when relationships get strained and maybe even broken. But it never, it's never too late just to reach out and try to reconnect because we, we have a common genetic pool, but we also have a common emotional bond. And I, um, as I say to anyone who asks me, I'm proud of being from Buffalo. I'm proud to have Big Russ, the garbage man, truck driver's my dad. And I, I stand on his shoulders, and I salute him on this Father's Day. Tim Russert suffered a fatal heart attack in June of 2008. He was 58. Big Russ died the following year at age 85. And you can get your copy of Big Russ and Me by following the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, don't miss my interview with a father and son who, between them, for decades have kept America laughing, my 1989 conversation with Bob Elliott and his son, Chris Elliott. My gold-toe socks had to be hung on nothing but uh, wire hangers. That was one of Daddy's rules. We are thinking of bringing out a designer line of uh, wire coat hangers. <laughs> and my 2006 conversation with an actor whose father was also an actor of some reputation, Jack Lemon's son, Chris Lemon. Pop was taking it in the usual Jack Lemon stride, sort of in the background, going, Dad, a big, big movie star over here. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and finally walks over and he puts a hand on my shoulder and says, well, there you go, kiddo. All your life you've been Jack Lemon's son, and now it's Who's the Old Fart with Chris Lemon. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Thank you for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, we'll mark Juneteenth by revisiting my 1993 interview with a writer whose fiction was based on an amazing truth. My conversation with Louise Merriweather. There's been a lot of myths about the African-Americans, black people during the Civil War, and I was just so pleased to be able to uncover some of the truth. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. 